On today's episode, we're discussing an issue that is very close to Pilar and my heart as well, that of financial literacy. I already know he can't wait to get started. So, hey, Pilar, how are we doing today, sir? Well, man, I think you've captured it very well. Very excited about this conversation, and it is very, very close to my heart. And we've got a very interesting guest, which I'm very excited about, but I don't want to go on for far longer than I need to. I think, yeah, you can just go ahead and introduce our guest. Sure thing. We'll be taking a look at our country's financial literacy statistics today. And of course, we will not be doing this alone. Joining us is one Mr. Lyndall Clark. He's the head of consumer education at the Financial Sector Conduct Authority. Good day, Mr. Clark. How are you doing today? I'm well, guys. Hi, Simo. Hi, Philo. I'm well today. It's a little bit cold, but I think we'll get through this cold snap as soon as the sun comes out again in, let's hope, in December. We should be able, you should be <laughs> able to join. You should be able to enjoy the beach again, Simo. For sure. <laughs> now, Mr. Clark, you're not our first guest from the FSCA. We've had the pleasure of having the commissioner, Mr. Unati Kamlan, on the show. And one of the notable parts of our discussion with him was the program of treating consumers fairly and I guess an extension of that which is the drive for con consumer financial literacy and I would assume that that is where you come in sir so perhaps could you explain what your role within the FSCA entails as the head of consumer education yeah thanks and 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 thanks again for having Onati on on the show it is always good from a from a strategic point of view to see what the organization stands for and it's always good to hear from the head of the organization because i think that is the real face of it but i think that the, the actual face is the consumers and the consumer education department at the financial sector conduct authority so i am head of the consumer education department and we are the department that actually interacts with consumers interact in a way where we try to disseminate information regarding financial matters we try as far as possible to interpret interpret the legislation and the regulations that is applicable to consumers because in the past, the Financial Services Board, the, the predecessor to the FSCA, used to be a regulatory-focused organization looking more at the industry. And with the new FSR Act that now promotes a consumer or a customer-centric approach, we've now looked more at how do we actually take the needs of the consumer into account when we draft legislation, when we draft regulations. And then our department, the role that we play is then to go out there and interpret to the consumers what it is their responsibilities are, but also what their rights are. Because I think it's quite important when dealing with financial services providers that you as the consumer, because we don't have that information sometimes, that you actually empower yourself with the knowledge and information so that you ask the right questions. And that secondly, you're sure that you're dealing with an authorized financial services provider. So that, in essence, is our role, is to go out to consumers. We have various workshops, various activities, such as workshops. We have a, exhibitions that we do. We have specific projects, which we'll speak more about it. And, and Phila has been part of one of those projects, which is the, the national speech competition. He's come through our ranks. He's one of our, our previous winners. Manil can tell you all about what kind of enriching in experience that was. And I think that is why this, this program is actually there because of his, his drive to also provide other people with financial literacy information to make sure that people understand what financial terminologies are all about before they engage in, in buying a financial product or a financial service. So yeah, let me stop there for now because I'm, I'm sure there's other, a few other things we can speak about as we go along. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And I actually think that you've summed it up quite well, actually, because I wanted to touch just before you did on the point about the symmetry of information, which I think is a crucial point when discussing the need for regulation. And it's actually one of the points that Mr. Kamlana and ourselves actually discussed in quite a bit of detail, because it's crucial that we understand the need for regulation. And one of the main reasons for it is, of course, that a symmetry of information that always exists among the financial service providers, the intermediaries, and the clients themselves. And I think what the Twin Peaks regulatory model has done is where there was once a wedge, in fact, a wedge is a bit too small, where there was once a China wall between consumers and financial service providers, that wall now exists no longer because the regulator is there to ensure that that information or that knowledge gap that once existed exists to a much lesser degree or extent today. So I think it's important that you touched on that. And I think obviously the work that you have done at the FSCA, I've obviously, as you've mentioned, known a bit about the FSCA for a while now. I've gone through the ranks, as you say, and participated in the Talk Money Speech Contest, which essentially was a competition about trying to get young people to think about some of these issues that they would ordinarily not think about, which has been one of the most interesting things about my journey into the financial services sector, because I've been thinking a great deal about some of these issues from a very young age, which I really think has helped me grow and has really built a very solid foundation upon which I can build the rest of my career. And I think it's crucial that you talk about clients, because I think that's where the main focus of our discussion should be. So you mentioned some of these programs that you guys have to try and reach out to clients. You mentioned that it's a very client-focused or client-centric department that you involved with. So what are some of the things that the FCA's Department on Consumer Education is involved with? And I think obviously you're the right person to talk to because you're obviously the head of that department. Yeah, thanks for that. And 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 you're talking about the wall. And you know sometimes the the wall is is high and sometimes the wall is low. And that is why when you mentioned TCF at the beginning, treating customers fairly, I think that is quite an important aspect of what we're trying to achieve at the FSCA to ingrain and, and, and actually integrate that policy within all in the, into the culture of, the, of, of all the FSPs that we regulate so that when consumers do approach financial services providers, that they have the, the confidence and the trust. And, and, and we'll speak more about the stats that the latest HSRC report brings forth around the trust that people have in financial institutions. So, so basically what we do, one of the projects I said I spoke to you about was the national speech competition. So we try to use try to reach youth, which is quite an important target group for us because as you have said, one doesn't really start thinking about money matters when you're young. It's, it's, it's all about, you know, how much I can spend, what I can buy, what's the latest fashion as you start working. And, and I've seen this happen. Young people, the first thing they do is they buy a car and they buy a flashy new car. And I think it's important that we need to allay that kind of thought where people think that the car is still an asset. People think that if I have a car, they don't know that the car, the moment you drive it off the lot, it devalues. So what is it that we're trying to tell the youth around empowering themselves with enough knowledge around things like debt, things like how much money, how do I budget so that I can stay out of debt? And then eventually, how do I then buy a, a, a financial product so that I can look at savings and I can look at investments and ultimately then create wealth? The other areas that we also work in is community, um, community relations, community development. You know that our communities work mostly on cash. And we have a huge informal sector in South Africa where, where we don't see people going into banks or if they do interact with banks, it's because they are forced to because they have a job or because they get a grant and this money gets paid into the, into the bank account. But we don't see a lot of transaction. Latest inclusion figure shows that almost 86% of South Africans are banked 
and they use that number to show inclusion in the country. However, when you dig a bit, bit deeper, you see that people don't actually transact in, in, into that accounts. What they do is as soon as the money is in, they take it out and then, then they use the cash because some of the figures that we'll see later on shows that about 62% of South Africans still believe that using cash is the best way within the community when they on everyday transactions. So we try to work with communities and one of the projects we're busy with is with the Department of Public Works and Infrastructure through the Expanded Public Works Program, where we actually work with the participants. Now, these are participants that, as you know, the EPWP program is a job and a skills development kind of project from government. So we're trying to integrate financial skills with this as well, because the participants receive a stipend. They've got a work for maybe three months, some six months, some two years. So what happens in the period that you don't have work? So we're trying to get things like, how do we budget? How do I save for that time when I don't have money coming in? Another project that we're busy with is our outreach project. We've A few years ago, about two years ago, we've said, but how do we actually reach rural communities? And we bought a, a, a mobile unit, which we then customized with television, uh, sound system, etc. And we travel around the country with that, with that project using a campaign. So we look, use a campaign, for instance, such unclaimed pension benefits. And it's an, a topic I think that the commissioner also spoke about, the unclaimed assets. So we need to conscientize people around, if you have been part of a, a pension fund or you know of a family member that you might be a beneficiary of that pension fund. How do I actually make inquiries? So there are specific campaigns that we do with our outreach program. Yeah. Um, then, of course, there's, there's a lot of little ad hoc projects where people or stakeholders around the country just invite us to town hall meetings where we actually speak about information around budgeting, savings, investments. And, of course, the big thing nowadays is scams. How do I identify a scam and how do I stay away from it? Yeah, so just yeah. in, in short, those are the things that we actually do from a, on, a, on a daily basis. Yeah, and I think that that's a brilliant synopsis. And maybe just before I hand over to Seymour, there's a question. So, so in one of the previous podcasts, pardon me, that I recorded with Lele Napers, Aiden Holtz and David Kopp, I asked the question about blame because that conversation was itself anchored around this report of the FSCAs because what that report was showing in no uncertain terms is that the level of financial astuteness among the South African populace has declined. So the question that I asked was, if we are to lay the blame at anybody's feet, on whose feet are we to lay the blame at? Because it's apparent to me that a lot of efforts have been put in place to try and ameliorate this bleak economic outlook or financial illiteracy that permeates our society. But it doesn't seem to me that there's any improvement that has been made. So I think it's an interesting question to perhaps ponder because it obviously provides sort of a reflection or feedback about some of the initiatives that have been undertaken to at least show us if there are any movements in either direction. But when I was looking at that report, it really just said to me that we need to ask some very deep questions we perhaps yeah. need to look in the mirror and ask ourselves very, very difficult questions about what has gone wrong and how maybe, if at all, we have contributed to the waning levels of financial literacy in the country. Do you maybe have any thoughts on that? Yeah, indeed. So so I try to move away from this blame frame thing you know, where, we, where we say it's, it's your fault and it's my fault. But I think the, the one thing that you mentioned about looking in the mirror uh, is important because it comes back to the individual. I think for me, it's that that's quite an important part in terms of how do I see myself as an individual in terms of my money matters? We, we sometimes tend to shy away from, from, from thinking about our money matters. And, and, we, and we sort of put the, have, have the ostrich mentality where you put your, your head in the sand and say, look, everything will come right. 
But I think more importantly, I think if you want to use the word blame, I think we'd rather use the word factors that influence. And here I'd like to maybe refer you to, to the macroeconomic indicators. We look at things like the GDP, the slow economic growth. We look at COVID-19 and we look at how that have influenced people's income. So we're looking at people having had income before. And then obviously because of COVID-19, they were either, either retrenched or reduced hours. So that plays a huge role. And, 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 and sometimes people ask me now, how do you measure the impact that you have? And I say to them, but you know what? Impact is very difficult because today I'm, I'm Linwell Clark. I work for the FACA. Tomorrow, the FACA becomes a company that they retrench, for instance, or they don't need their consumer education department anymore, which means tomorrow, Linville Clark is out of a job, which means my situation have now changed, which means the lifestyle I, I'm used to living is going to change because now I need to think differently about my money. And, and, and I think that is where I think South Africans have not been provided with the necessary skill to move in between life situations and life experiences. We, our, our project or our program called My Money, if you, if you look at our, our FACA website, fcamymoney.co.za, is based on life experiences so that when something happens to you personally, for instance, there's a, there's a death in the family, you have to travel, Simo, one of your colleagues or somebody passes away in Pretoria, you want to go there, but do you have emergency funds, for, for, for instance, to cover that? right? I get divorced tomorrow. My wife don't love me anymore and she leaves me. So immediately it, it, it affects my pension, which means half of that will have to go to my wife if we manage in community of property. So for me, it is about life experiences and looking at the various macroeconomic indicators around the country and how does that influence me? So, so if you want to then say, how do we work together? And I think this is where various sectors in the country need to come together. And I should have maybe put a disclaimer up front to say some of these views are not the views of the FACA, but my personal views. And I personally think that we need to start getting the various role players in the country, labor, education, and the Department of Trade and Industry. How do we actually, first of all, get enough, get the skills required from a school system in terms of the Department of Education and higher education, from a skills skills level, how do we develop those skills that is necessary for people to survive within our industry? The Department of Labor, how do you develop programs for people to be upskilled? I've recently seen a stat that the average age of the artisan in South Africa, I think is around 53%, 53. Now, if you look at young people, when you started out and you decided you want a career for yourself, what did you look at? You looked at, hey, I need to go into finance or I need to go into IT or I want to doctor. become a lawyer. Doctor. Now, doc I want to become a doctor. Which one of your friends have ever said, I think I'm going to become a bricklayer. I think I'm going to become an electrician. I think, exactly, Simo, exactly. We have such a low level of the artisans in the country and, and, and artisans are the entrepreneurs that we need to actually provide the basis for because it's because we do not want to go into those professions that the business skills is now starting to, to also be, be eroded. We've got high levels of unemployment in the country, okay? But why don't I provide my electrician or my bricklayer or my plumber with the necessary business skills for him to actually have a business running and then contributing to the economy? We are... 
we are looking at our lawyers and our IT specialists at our professionals to provide the tax base in the country. Now, once that, how, how much more can you tax those uh, that level of people? Okay, so so for me, if we start building our entrepreneurship and start building those people that can actually start business and maintain it, I think the economy will fl- flourish much more. And then we can start looking in the mirror and saying, listen, this is what I've done. I've started to uplift people to a point where they now can be actively participating within the country. And I've given them the necessary skills. So another project that we're busy with is we're working with the National Empowerment Fund to look at young entrepreneurs and to tell them, listen, guys, this is where your business skills start. But before that, there's a few financial literacy principles that you need to adhere to. I mean, one basic concept is if you're in business, don't mix your personal finance with your business finance. So, so, so whenever you make a profit, don't go on holiday. Put your profit back into your business. You can, of course, put a little bit of money away for yourself as well. So if we're talking about collaboration, coordination, partnerships, I think private and public and government partnerships are, are, are vital when we look at financial literacy. We look at uplifting the economy because I always, do, oh, well, basically I don't see financial education or financial literacy in isolation. It's not something that I can tell you, Phila or similar. listen, let me tell you about financial literacy. Let me talk, teach you how to budget. And a lot of people often ask us, but can't I get a, a certificate for this course that you're doing? Then I say to them, but are you going to get a job with a financial literacy certificate? It might help you when you start earning money one day, but the certificate itself is not going to get you a job. Okay. So, yeah, so that's a, a long answer to a, to a short question from your side. But I, but I think putting blame, I don't think we should go there. We should rather say, how do we actually start working, all start working together to firstly get, get, get rid of or, or minimize the unemployment, get people out of poverty um, and provide the opportunities, whether it is jobs or whether it is from an entrepreneur point of view, where I can start my and maintain my business. And in that way, I think the economy will grow much faster and much quicker, but always remembering that there need to be a financial literacy aspect added to that whole process. I think that's a brilliant answer. It's a long one and, and there's a lot to unpack. <laughs> Sorry about that. I'd like to keep... <laughs> no issues, no worries. But I'd like to keep to the part of this it seems from your side, there's a lot of projects, there's a lot of efforts, there's a lot of outreach efforts from your side. And I, I even asked Pilar this question last week when the when the idea of having the podcast with you came into mind. And I wanted to know, how, 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 how are your efforts not really producing the desired results yet? Because we live in the information age. I mean, any outreach effort seems quite easy now because you've got social media, I mean, there's even more funding for these types of efforts, but somehow the general public, the consumer public is still not grasping the information that's being shared or at the very least, they're not using it. So where is the disconnect? Because I I actually don't think that this information is not going out to the people. I think it's getting there. It's it's, why is it not sticking? I remember in the panel about the the survey that, that Pila and I watched, one of the panelists spoke about it being financial literacy not being entertaining you know there's a need to make it fun because it's not sexy the problem (laughs) yeah it's not sexy enough but 
could 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 that really be a major problem? Yeah, so so it's quite difficult. So so firstly, from our point of view, our projects are monitored and evaluated externally from by by an external service provider, and all our reports are available on the on the website. And all our reports show an increase in financial understanding at the point of delivery. So, so when we go out and we do any, any activity, we do a pre-test and we do a post-test. So while people are there, they realize what it is that we're trying to stay and they understand it. The challenge comes in when they go away. Now, when, when, when I give you information and I tell you, listen, you need to draw up a budget and you need to stick to it. Now, we show you how to draw up the budget. You understand it, the, 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 the whole concept. And for the first month, you draw up your budget for the first, maybe the second month. But by the third month, it's, it's not, it's not, it doesn't become part of your lifestyle anymore. You now think, but hey, man, now I must know, I need to go and sit down. I need to go and uh, I need an Excel spreadsheet or I need to start writing these, down, these things down. Uh, it's taking too much time. So it depends on the individual to take forward the information. And I think that is where the disconnect is, is that we don't have in your face financial consumer education constantly because the FACA is doing its bit. So we've got a limited capacity in terms of how far we can reach people. So although we reach them right now and they understand what we're saying, we are not following them on a regular basis. So and, and it's, it's, it's something that we've been discussing internally about reaching people on a once-off basis. So I go in, I do my project, I do my activity, and I leave. We try and follow up via telephone calls, via databases that we're trying to create. But I think that is where the disconnect is, is that we don't also have a coordinated approach within the country around financial education. And maybe I should just mention a few things here. The financial sector code was issued, came into, into being around about in the early 2000s. And it was in 2017, it was, it was reviewed. And it compels the financial industry to spend 0.4% of the after-tax profits on consumer education. And that is being done through the financial, financial Sector Transformation Council at the moment. So what is happening there is that people are doing or financial institutions are doing financial education, but it's not being coordinated. And currently what we're doing through National Treasury is, is devising and drafting a policy on financial education and also a national strategy. Now, we've got a strategy already, but we're revising it, we're revising it now to cater for that coordination, but in terms of who is doing what in the country. And I believe that once we have all of those things in place, then and we have a national action plan as well, we will have a broader reach and we will then have what I would say, what I called earlier on, a in-your-face kind of approach, where when you wake up in the morning and we put on your radio, you hear a financial education message. While you're driving in your car, you still put on the radio, you listen to whatever radio station, there's a financial education message. You come to, the, you come to your workplace your workplace have a financial education or financial wellness program in place. You leave home in the afternoons, it's in your face, it's on a billboard as you drive, it's in the taxi, on the screen, the taxi driver plays music, plays various clips on his, on, on his radio. So once we have that coordinated, concerted effort from everybody, I think we will overcome that. 
But while we are still fragmented, and again, from, a, from an industry point of view, we've also seen that the financial institutions use financial education as part of their marketing strategy. Now, that in itself becomes a problem. And, and, and we are busy. The legislation allows us to draft conduct standards. Conduct standards, which is subordinate legislation that financial, the financial sector must use when they do financial education. And that's going to come out soon as well. So, so with, by, by doing that, we are compelling them to do it in a certain way, based on principles, obviously, not very prescriptive, but also we're drawing that line between marketing and education. Okay, because I think for me, that is quite important. I can't go into, as an FSP, I come and I say, listen, this is all, this is funeral policies, and this is everything you need to know about a funeral policy. However, you know, we've got this product. Now, once you start going into that area, the mo then, you, then you're marketing because then you're actually limiting the consumer's choice as well because what you should be telling them is, we have products, however, you need to shop around and find the one that suits your needs in terms of that. So, so, so there's two things that, that are just in, in conclusion or in summary. One, the FACA does reach people but I think the longitudinal study about whether it takes you right through. I think Phila is a, is, a, is, a, is a classic example of somebody that has had access to it. He has acted upon it and he's taken the whole value chain through to a point where he's actually now broadcasting as well and taking the financial education message further. And we need more of that. Where, where you actually go through the whole process. We find with the national speech competition, Phila, actually, that the learners start with their speeches and they develop and they do the research. Then they actually talk to the teachers about it. And the teachers start learning and that they go home and they talk to their parents about it. And within the families, they start learning. And we've actually heard a word from teachers that come back to us and says, you know what? The things that the kids have come up with or the learners have come up with, we actually never knew that these things actually exist. For instance, we didn't know that the FACA regulates our financial institutions and that there's an ombudsman system that we can actually use if we have a complaint. Now, now for me, that is it's almost like basic information that should even be taught in schools. I, I shouldn't have to learn that there's an ombudsman when I want to take out a financial product. And, and that is actually the point where most clients or customers only hear about the ombudsman system because the industry is compelled to tell them that if you're not happy with my product, you are welcome to report or you can go to our compliance officer or you can speak to the ombudsman. Yeah. I have the same feelings. I have the same feelings within the legal sphere. You know, I, 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 have, a fee I have this belief that all of our rights, you know, your basic rights, they should be taught in class. And I don't know whether in social sciences. So, yeah, even going financially. I mean, money is life. So we definitely yeah. need to be learning these things at a basic level and grow up with them. I think they're better yeah. entrenched that way. I, I, I totally, totally agree with you. I mean, you everybody says it's love that makes the world go round, but <laughs> you know, it's, it's money that puts the food on the table. So yeah, indeed. So yeah, I mean, to, to again, to get, come back to your question, disconnect is probably, the second disconnect is the, is, is the coordination, is that we, we're not reaching enough people because we sometimes we duplicate, we duplicate our efforts and we du duplicate our information. And if we can have an action plan that is all encompassing, that is coordinated through uh, 
the National Consumer Financial Education Committee, for instance, and that that then gets publicized more on more platforms. Because I also think we, although I said we mustn't mix consumer education and marketing, we actually need to market consumer education. We need to market financial education and come to that point where you say we make it sexy, we make it fun. We need to move into areas like gamification. We need to be a bit more on our on our digital platforms. We need to make it exciting. We are in a process at the moment at the FSEA where we, we're assessing our current FSEA My Money website. And we, we come up with stats that says people spend 30 seconds on a page. Now, for me, that, that doesn't make... Uh, doesn't bode well because I've spent so much money or the FECA have spent so much money to put the website there. Now, why are you only spending 30 seconds on my webpage? So we're trying to get to, f- to find out why is it and what do we need to put in place to keep people on the website? And I think even 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 these podcasts and these kinds of streaming that you guys are busy doing, where you actually use influencers to actually go out there and actually spread the word. Uh, for lack of a better word, I don't want to sound religious, yeah. I'm not a pastor, <laughs> but just to spread the word around financial education and how it can benefit you. Because I think this is this is another point of disconnect is I'm in grade 12. I'm in first year university. Why do you want to talk to me about retirement? Okay, so so appropriate content for appropriate target audiences, I think is, is actually quite vital because We've spoken to the uh, millennials, the so-called millennials, and and the push before COVID was, we're going to travel the world. So we're going to take out a massive amount of credits, and when we come back, we'll work to pay it off. But but do you see the thinking is, I can't speak to people about uh, at that level around retiring. They tell me, why do you want me to, to think about retiring? I want to travel the world. So it's all about mindset and having enough consumer research and data to actually say, this is what we found that consumers want, and then taking it forward. And in essence, that's what's the HSRC, the panel that you saw that you guys were, were listening to. In essence, that was what, what, what the data is telling us. And the data is telling us, you need to do something about this. Yeah. Uh, in essence, you know, yeah. besides the stats, yeah. I mean, you can you can you can talk about all all you want about the stats. And I always my point about about these kind of research is always what are we doing about it? Okay, you know what the situation is. What is the next steps? Yeah, yeah. No, that's wonderful. And and I just quickly wanted to comment before I shared the presentation now about a point that you made that I thought was quite crucial. Two points, actually. The first is about how when you guys reach out to some people, they hear the message, they seem to understand it when you guys present it to them. But then suddenly when they go out into the world, they no longer practice it. I, th- I think that's more of a time thing than it is to do with the FSCA. So, so I think you're right in saying that there's only so much that the FSCA can do. But I think maybe one of the more crucial things that needs to be done is because it, it seems to me quite apparent that the reason people aren't taking action immediately is because this thing has not yet a habit to them. So you made the example about the speech contest and myself and how I started thinking about these concepts from a very young age. I think that's the level at which the conversation ought to start because then once you grow up with it, once you grow up thinking about this, 
the more it becomes entrenched in your thinking and the more you're able to practice it when you get to the age at which you ought to start practicing it. You also made a very crucial point about artisans. And I think that we need to spend a moment perhaps talking about why that is the case in South Africa specifically, because South Africa is one of the few countries in the world where we've got more people in universities and we've got people in TVET colleges, which to me points to the center of a, a real problem. And I think part of that problem is the fact that universities have been glorified and they have been made this be all and end all. And if you don't go to university, you haven't succeeded. And no developed economy was built off of the backs of uh, financiers or lawyers or doctors only. You need people who are going to build the roads. You need people who are going to build the infrastructure upon which a lot of these services that we are offering can be made. So I think a large part of the solution to that needs to be reappropriating and re-engaging with young people about the importance of being able to apply themselves and not being ashamed of it because I think it's a stigma that's attached to such skills as well. And I think we need to try and break down that stigma. But we've spent a bit of time talking about the FCA's role in general and the economic outlook. I just wanted to try and put the numbers to the pages just so that people know the kind of predicament that we're facing. So you mentioned, Lindwall, that there was a presentation that you formed a part of that was moderated by Mr. David Cobb. I sat through that presentation and what I saw there pointed to the center of a real conundrum. Uh, we have a very big problem on our hands. And I think what it did crucially for me um, as an intermediary myself is that it put into perspective the size of the Goliath that we're going to have to take down. And I think it was quite important for me to try and relay this information to as many people as possible, especially the youth that tune onto our platform. But there's a particular one, just as we're talking about uh, young people, that I wanted to try and get to. Because as you said, young people are, are after instant gratification. It's about trying to see the, the fruits of your action now and trying to use your money now to try and achieve things now. And that's where I think it's important to be wary of such things as scams, because things are happening in the country. And I don't think people quite realize just how bleak the economic outlook is on such things as scams in South Africa. There's a very interesting statistic that I wanted us to ponder over. And Lindul, I just wanted to maybe get your thoughts on what I've just said. And then obviously we can just build the conversation about scams and people being taken advantage of into the conversation. So you can use your speaking segment as sort of a segue to go into the conversation about scams. Yeah. So so if you look at these, the victims of scam, and, and for me, sometimes it is because we don't know. And sometimes it's because of greed. And, and I think this is, this is quite a, a, an important part of, 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 of when you think about a scam. The don't know part, I think, is quite important because I've actually heard people say that I didn't know a pyramid scheme is illegal. Now, now, and I can understand that because if somebody comes to me and says, listen, you can, you can double your, your money if only you get three other people to also be part of this, you know, and, and as part of the whole educate, education process, and I'm talking here, I'm including the formal education sector, that we, we again, we, we spoke about this early on. These are not things that's being taught in schools that, that, you know, look out for people that will scam you or try to take your money. But for me, it goes back to a basic principle that I need to know where I put my money and who I give my money to. And, and that's quite important for me. So if you see the, the, the kind of stats that you have here in terms of risky behavior, it's, it's, and it comes back to the economic indicators that I spoke about also. People are living under dire conditions, economic conditions. So they will always be looking for, how do I get extra money? Now, it's, it's almost like us going out and looking for bargains in the shop, right? So if somebody comes to me and say, listen, all you need to do is you need to bring three extra people and each one of them needs to bring a 50 rand. Okay. 
and then we pull our money and then you know if i go out the, the, the top person gets the money and then so so it's almost like you you start believing that this is actually a legal process but for me the the warning signs is always that exactly that those three people must i you know no no legal scheme will ask me to bring other people in uh, they've got marketers, they've got intermediaries, and they've got uh, key individuals that will go look for, 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 for or, or they've got salespeople to look for that. The other thing is then, okay, what if I don't get three people? Do I still get my money? You know, so so you must always, I think, ask the questions. And if you look at all of these, these uh, the, the stats that you are, you, you're showing there, so the not knowing, if you look at that, almost 40% of South Africans are not confident in their ability to detect scams. The not knowing means that Somehow we're not putting out enough messaging around scams. And we've tried through our radio programs. But again, the next area I'm going to move into is the greedy part, where you actually knowingly go into that. And because people are living under such dire economic situations, they will think that, man, if I can get in early and I get my 5,000 rand or my 10,000 rand, I don't care about those that's going to lose their money that's going to come afterwards. So I need that money now. Then we move further afield to those that are a bit more, have more access to money. If you look at Ponzi schemes, and if you look at people that are actually being scammed within Ponzi schemes, if you look at it, it's mostly people that are quite, quite wealthy. They're in the upper income areas and they go for investment schemes. And you know how these things work is where you actually take Peter's money to pay Paul and, and the money just goes around and around all the time. So when it comes to scams, I think firstly, there needs to be a lot more education. We need to really, really enforce and get the enforcement around scams. Unfortunately, we only hear about scams once it's happened. And this is the unfortunate part. And, and, and we can only act. And, and it's very, very difficult for you to get your money back once you've been scammed. And, and here I'm talking about the scams around things like pyramid schemes. And I'm not even talking about the high level where pension funds and other funds are being raided by administrators. That's a different level of scamming. And that is the area where the FACA can actually have an enforcement and investigative and enforcement part that we can actually play a role in. But I'm I'm talking about the simple scams where people get taken for you're talking about the vacation scams. And again, where you, where you come to, you go on this great, you plan this holiday, you've saved up, and you come to it and you see that there's an empty plot of land where your holiday destination is supposed to be. And, 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 and we've seen this happen, but it goes back to doing your due diligence as a consumer. Finding yeah. out, listen, from people, I've paid these people, or even before you pay them, make sure that, you know, that the plot where you're supposed to go to is actually there. But we've also seen, and this is where the other part I wanted to maybe just quickly touch on is is, is the digital platform where, where, where there's a lot of digital platforms and people actually fake or fraudulent digital platforms that people go onto and, 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 and it seems like you're on booking.com or you're on Airbnb or you're on one of these major platforms. It seems like you're on it, but you're actually not. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a clone of a of an actual reels of a real of a real platform. And again, it's very difficult to disseminate whether this is a real one or not. 
And again, this is where consumers need to be very, very wary around it. If I may just jump in there, my apologies for interjecting. Sure. No, no, um, go, for, go ahead. I just wanted to share my experience with trying to talk to people or warning them rather about the dangers of pyramid schemes and Ponzi schemes. Although people trust what I have to say and they realize that it comes from a good place, for some people, it's as if I'm jealous of the gains that they're being promised. And so that, that for me has certainly been the difficulty about trying to disseminate such knowledge where I talk to people and I say, look, guys, um, I'm not against you making money. What I am against is you making money at the expense of somebody else or somebody else making money at your own expense as well, uh, which is a very, very difficult uh, message to uh, disseminate and share among young people because it's almost as if you're jealous of the gains that they've been promised when you speak out against some of the scams that are going around, which are pretty evidently scams or pyramid schemes. But people don't want to hear that. When the figures are in front of them and when they are being promised these hefty sums of money, they don't listen to anything. So it is a very difficult problem to try and address because money is a psychological thing as well. When when the figures are in front of you nothing else matters i, I think it's I, I i think it's it's just due to the desperate nature of our economy as a whole you know th there isn't that much money to go around and when you're given an, an opportunity to make money quickly and you act in fact can i think that's like the biggest problem with pyramid schemes and scams is that there actually are people who make this money you, you, I, I know it's quite popular that some lie about making the money but they're actually people people who do make the money and so in my experience what i've realized is that many people who are involved in scams actually knew in the beginning that they were involved in scams they were just taking yeah. that risk i mean if you if you think of it this way there's some people who have made like let's say over the past five years in total the value of anything they've ever owned and every every bit of money they've ever owned maybe amounts to one hundred and twenty thousand. and then someone comes right now and says if you give me five, I can give you that 120 tomorrow. So it, it's very appealing. And it's, it's a chance that people are generally actually always willing to take. People aren't that non-educated about scams. I, I have a very, very big feeling that people actually know what they're getting into. It's just, it's quite unfortunate when it doesn't work out. But I, in my experience with especially with everyone that I've met who actually deals scams. I actually have an aunt. Oh my God, when she watches this. But I have an, <laughs> I have an aunt <laughs> who's participated in almost every scheme I've ever seen. You know, whether it's selling health products, it's selling this or that, where you get like a higher ranking. There was one where they bought trucks, you know. So you you, you bring like 200,000, he brings 200,000, we can buy this truck and then we can rent it out. And then they find that the company does not exist at the end of it all. So I, I think, well, at least in my in my opinion, that people are just willing to take the risk, such as the desperate nature of the economy as a whole. You know, we are a poor country, you know, junk status is there for a reason. So yeah, that, that's my two cents. Yeah, you've, you've touched on quite, I mean, we, we've, we've mentioned these things, the economy, obviously before, and, and, for me, Fila, you also mentioned an important word here is promise. You know, the promise of the money is 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 the lead. And it's human nature that you then actually say, but listen, I could actually. But if you really look at it, I mean, currently, your interest from a bank point of view, from an investment point of view, and and and, and you guys are in the in the uh, in the in the field, what is the current returns? The current return is about what, three percent? 
five percent, you get if you six percent, if you get a six percent increase or, or promise of, a, of of an investment, it's quite a lot. So if somebody starts offering me a fifteen percent or a twenty percent increase or double my weeks. money, a fifty percent within two weeks, exactly. Now already the the bell should be going off. The second thing is paperwork. In most of these cases, there's hardly any paperwork that you have to sign. You just have to bring the money to the party. And I, and I think this is where we need to start putting the warning bells out there for consumers to look at. To say, guys, these are the things that tick it off. Okay. Is there a fun okay? If it's a financial product, obviously you need to find out are they authorized by the FACA to sell that particular product? Okay. If it's a property scheme, make sure the property syndicate is registered. If it's credit somebody's providing to you, make sure they provide they they're authorized by the NCR to do it, the National Credit Regulator. By the way, Mashonisas are not authorized by the NCR. So so I actually wanted to comment on them. <laughs> I actually you know, they were the next part of me talking about the desperate situation. Yeah, people so, are still so, going out to Mashonisas. Everyone knows. I don't think there's a single adult who doesn't know that a Mashonisa is not the right way to go when you need money. But such is the yes. desperate situation. People still do. And still I understand. And, and I'm with you. And this is where, and again, this is my own opinion. This has nothing to do with the FACA. This is where I believe the financial sector has actually fallen down a little bit. Because what, what, we've, what we're busy doing at the moment is... We're actually withdrawing from certain areas. Some of the major banks are closing down their they're closing down their 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 branches. We're forcing people to go digital. Now the Mashanisha lives down the street from me. I know he's there. So and he's easy access. He's not asking me to put up uh, securities or collateral. He's not asking a lot of questions. All he wants to is that at, when Friday comes. You must pay him X amount of money back, and obviously there's a physical uh, element, threat, element element that that goes along with that. But 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 I think as a, as a financial sector, we need to really look at what is available to our communities in terms of credit. Okay, so I understand we live in dire economic circumstances. There's poverty. We need to put food on the table. So I'm coming back to what I said earlier on around the economic situation that we need to all get together and pull together and say there are people that are struggling. They need jobs. They need at least business opportunities. What are we doing to assist them so that we put the machinists actually out of business? Because if you have that access to money, and 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 I want to go back at because also there's a there's a mistrust in the financial sector as well. And Fila, you should you could you should know this or you you'll experience this in your career as you go along. That people when they come to you and and, and you talk to them about money, then they say, okay, what's in it for you? You're just coming to me to get the commission. Right. So so we got to allay or demystify the financial sector for the consumer to such an extent that that trust is actually there so that I can actually go to my bank and say, listen, I bank with bank X. Right. But I'm in a bit of a bit of a bind. Can you help me out with credit? Okay, And can I pay that credit off over a certain period of time so that I don't have to go to a Mashonisa? But. We've reached a point in the country where people have got so much debt that they can't get access to more debt. So what we need to do is now to provide them with that little skills and little tips to say, look, you've got five debts, for instance. Let's start off with the one with the highest interest and pay that one off. Or let's start the one that you owe on the least. Pay that one off and then add that amount to the next one. 
Then once you pay that one off, you add that amount to the next one and so on and so on and so on. So we need to provide consumers with that tips or skills so that they can, and, and I call it a coping mechanism because a lot of us use money to cope, but some of us use other methods like financial support from our families. And I think, and, and, and it's not often touched on the social and the emotional aspects. And I think you mentioned it, Phila, early on also, the emotional aspect around money. Because the moment you get into a situation when you can't handle your, your debt, you get physically ill. You stay, start staying away from work. It's got a knock-on effect. Okay? And, and you need to then bring all of that together and say, now, how do I... Because if I stay out of work long enough, they're going to fire me. And then I'm not going to get money to come in in any case. So yeah. what can I... What can I? How can I, from a work point of view... And, and, and at the FECA, we've got programs. We've got, we've got financial and, and, and wellness programs for 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 our, our, our staff and i'm sure other companies have as well but firstly you need to it's almost like and, and I, don't quote me on this <laughs> it's like being an alcoholic I, I gotta admit that i've got a problem and then i've got an i've got to work out a plan on how to get through it and this is where the ncr is also very good in terms of debt debt management and and, and where they can actually assist in how you can actually consolidate your debt another tip is why don't you get go to the Go to your bank and say to them, this is all my debt. Can you pay it off for me? I'll take the one loan out and I only pay one loan. That's just the tip that some people use. I've given you two other tips as well. So, so what I'm trying to say is we have to provide people with the necessary skill and the information on how to cope. We need to provide them with the necessary information of what to do in certain in situations, life experiences. And like you rightly said earlier on, from an early age, so that it becomes a way of life and a way of yeah. thinking and not when I'm in trouble, now I need to find out what can I do about it? Yeah. Okay? I think that's quite important for me that, that we need to start at. And, and, and even from an early, I'm talking about ECD, early childhood development, where the value of money needs to be taught to young, young children of the ages of from three to four, because when, when, when your child goes into the shop and says, Dad, buy me an ice cream. I mean, I don't even know what an ice cream costs like cost these days because I, I, I'm off sugar for a while. But, but an ice cream, I think it's probably about, what's it, 10 or 20 rand for a, for a, for a once for a single scoop. I don't know. You guys will know better than me. It's, it's but, 10 to 15. Yeah. So, but, but if you walk into a shop with your, with your youngster and they say it's 15 rand, if you're not financially well, you have to think twice and even three times before you can. But it is his want which now becomes your need. Okay? And, and that is where you've got to differentiate. Even as a family, you've got to start thinking about how do we as a family cope? And, 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 and this is where the cultural thing comes in. My father and mother never spoke to me about money. They, I, I never knew how much my father earned. I never knew what he spent his money on. He, when I asked him, I said I needed this, that, or the other. He said either yes or no. He didn't give me reasons why he couldn't afford it or not. But we need to start engaging with our parents within our families about money. You saw the the stats about about black tax because what is happening in our communities is that we we now becoming reliant on the one that is successful in the family 
to support the rest of the family. Now, it could be culturally, I think the stats shows, I think more than 60% say that culturally it's accepted that this has happened. But as the person that's providing it, mm-hmm. now you're putting pressure on that person. So instead of now everybody saying, listen, let's let's that person provide for everybody, why don't we then say that person then educate somebody else, provide the, the money for education for the, for the next person so that, I almost want to say spread the wealth, so that we can as a family then grow as well. So these are there's a lot of issues, and I think you, you, you've only you've only featured the scams, but there's a lot of issues in that research that actually give, gives us marching orders in terms yeah. of how do we how do we actually start with a family unit or or the small unit that you are in. Start with yourself, and then start branching out like that because eventually we start looking at the whole community and then obviously the whole country in, in terms of the economic economic successes or the economic opportunities that we can provide for people to create wealth. Yeah, it's such a big conversation. I mean, we weren't even able to go through most of the slides that we wanted to get through. But I think it was important that we were able to touch on what we were able to touch on today and maybe leave some for next time because I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. And I know I don't speak only for myself when I say that this has been a thoroughly insightful conversation. Maybe just a note to the listeners and viewers quickly before we wrap up. We are still a non-profitable organization and can only continue to exist with your support. So if you enjoyed today's conversation and wish to hear more of such conversations, please do head on over to our website at nmonline.co.za and you'll click on the support option though remember that we do not run any ads on our podcast and so these podcasts are brought to you entirely through your own support mr clark it's been an absolutely wonderful conversation and i cannot wait to have you back for more conversations to unpack a lot more of the issues because it's clear to me that your passion for this is pretty palpable and i would like to obviously chat with you a bit more later in the future as well simo do you have any final words could this have gone in gone on a bit longer (laughs) 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 you know you know as soon as you say he spoke about like culturally how we treat our money, your like alarms just went off in my head. It just opens up, eh? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I have a massive, massive problem with the way we treat funerals in our culture, but that's a yeah. conversation for another day. This yeah, has been definitely. super insightful, and thank you to yourself for sparing the time to talk with us. Yeah, anytime if you need it, and I think maybe we should we should we should bracket some topics and then and then and then look at them specifically because today I think it was it was more generic kind of conversation, but I think there are specific topics that we really need to address, such as funerals, such as the cultural the culture on money. One big issue for me, I think maybe from the for, for the next topic is is the materialism that that a lot mm-hmm. of our youth still look up to those people that have money, you know, and, and, and not just people and, and whether they got their money legally or, or illegally, they still look up to look at the admiration for people that accumulated possessions, for instance. So, 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 so materialism plays a, and consumerism obviously plays a huge part in, in the financial sector or the financial minds of people and how they see money. And, and, and that could sometimes be the block when we do financial education, because we try to talk sense while materialism speaks to something else in terms of accumulating accumulating wealth. More than happy to be back again the next time. And good luck Absolutely. with the rest of your, your, your show and your, and, your, and your ventures. I think so that's yeah, a wonderful uh, note on which to end it. Thank you so much. Sir. It's been an absolute privilege to talk to you.